The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 272 of Super Skull. It's your weekly new Comic Day Audio Digest, this time for the week of April 15th, 2020. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm here with Curtis Sullivan. I am here, but when we say here, we don't mean totally here. We're each in our own homes, uh, podcasting remotely, as is the way now in the new world. I don't know why we ever did it any other way, to be honest with you. You know, just... Pop on some headphones, use the latest technology, phone technology mostly, and uh, and really, uh, this is better than than human contact. I when I think how many years I spent just staring at your face <laughs> while we did this, just like looking at your face, I always smelled like, delicious. Though, come on, but why? Like that's what that's what I'm left with is why. There's no need. I'll send you a picture, a, my, a perfect picture that encapsulates me as I want you to see me, and you yeah. can look at that, and vice versa. And we, yeah. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't we do just that? Do we ever need to see each other ever again to do this podcast? <laughs> the answer is no, Nick. Um, but speak to my um, my representative, and 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 furthermore, my avatar going forward. Uh, I we'll feel like there was we had. There, this was like a thing that we had determined to do unspoken since the early days of deciding to do this podcast is like, cause, cause all podcasts or so many podcasts are made remotely. Right. Is They're that, via, I, I guess that that's true. Right. Cause how do you get guests and stuff? Right. You, you just well, have yeah, them it's, it's call guests, in or whatever, but hosts like the main, the, the hosts of shows is it's very common in the, in this industry that people will, mm. will do this kind of thing remotely. And, and we've been doing it in person like assholes for years and I can't I just can't believe it well it, it ties into our whole analog style my dude we sell comic books for our living which is completely anachronistic and ridiculous on in so many ways and uh, so why not do a podcast like they would way back in like say like 2000 or something right in person right yeah yeah that's how we that's how we do it C- old speaking, school man speaking of old school and Selling comics for a living. Uh, do you uh, how how has uh, your quarantine been? How has been the the management of your business been going? It, oh, it's been completely bizarre, man. Um, yeah. So you think that you kind of know how to do a business after like uh, almost twenty five years? We're you know we think we know what we're doing a little bit, and then we find out that we don't on a daily basis. I mean, for sure. But um, sure. Yeah, trying to trying to do it remotely is is just you think it, I thought it was going to be super easy. I thought you'd just mm-hmm. communicate with folks and you would just be like, you know, because we have a squad of, you know, like roughly 30 people across three stores and we're, you know, hey, we'll just communicate and stuff will get done and, you know, oh, hey, no big whoops, right? But it turns out that it's it's a whole new whole new ball of wax, a whole, a whole thing that I know very little about. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, you'll agree, right, that figuring this thing out on the fly is the other thing. Like... We got a notice to close our business, and then boom, next day it's remote business. You know, figure it out. Um, yeah, that's that pretty funky, man. It's getting better, it's been, but uh, it's getting better. It's been a it's been a journey for sure. 
um, do you have do you, do you have people in your life that give you advice on what you should do about <laughs> the, the business you own? Constantly, and you know what? It was cool because um, I didn't even ask for it. You know, and well, you um, never you never do right. Yeah, and it just comes from all sides. It's like family members. I'm getting phone calls from family members uh, constantly. A little less now, but in the early days, in the first week, you know, everybody was like, you know, really, really excited to to give us the fix. You know, to let us know, hey, here's how you can do it. This is oh, you want to save your business? <laughs> Here, let me tell you how. <laughs> this has been a thing that I was that I was not prepared for. Although to to a certain extent, I mean, like everybody, and I know, let me, and I know it comes from a good place. Like it comes it sure from a does. charitable place. These are coming, yes. this is like people that care about you and want you to do well. And like, I understand that, but this is like a, just a PSA for anybody listening to this. If you have anyone in your life that is running a business right now, everybody's got lots of anxieties. I'm not saying that this is the most Im- important thing in the world. You know what I mean? But if sure. you have people in your life that you know that are running a business right now, unless they say the words to you, what do you think I should do? Do not advise them <laughs> on how to run their business. There's no, nothing it, that you can tell them that they haven't thought of first. They're going to be very polite to you and say, they are. Oh, yeah, that's a, re- that's a really good thought. Uh huh. These friends that own businesses, this is what that this is what will be their reply to you. But you do not advise them on how to run their business during this time. No, if we uh, don't, it, if if no one takes anything away from issue two hundred and seventy-two of Super Skull, please take that away. Just give them a don't give them a handshake, obviously. Uh, but just just wish them well or or wish them well you know, say that sounds really hard you know give, give yeah. there's a lot there's a million ways to give support and sympathy and an open ear but unless they say the words to you what do you think i should do then don't tell them what they should do because you know because you you just don't know you don't know it, and you can't know and that's okay nobody expects you to know it's completely but, but okay it's completely just don't okay. don't even bring it up yeah yep no, it's it's uh it's nice uh to uh family members especially because they they don't understand how anything works with the selling of comic books anyways. So all my family members are even even more um, excited to let me yeah. know how uh, they can they can uh, they've got the magic yes. bullet and and it's always the magic bullet is what it is. It's not just oh, it's gonna some slight everything. advice. It's like boom. This is you know what you got to do is fucking you know start a lemonade stand. You know, I had a friend of mine ask, um, you know what you guys should do is you should uh, for your comic shop is you should uh, get a website. Do you have a website? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's and it. My my head exploded. But did you did you just say it was a good idea? Did you play nice and just say, oh, you got. Oh, yeah. You got to play, play nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. We're trying to lean into this stuff. We're trying to lean into, you know, doing doing the online thing. That's the only thing we've got available to us right now. <laughs> While my hair just turns turns like stark white and I start to melt like that dude from Indiana Jones. Fuck. The guy who opens up the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Never do that. Yeah, exactly. Never do that. Wow. Um, but speaking of telling people how to run their business, let's take a oh. look at in the news and uh, see how everyone else is running their business wrong. What do you think? I think, and we'll and we'll and we'll give sound advice this time. Oh well, we're really good at it. We're really special.
Hey, uh, so this week in the news, we got so much bleeding cool news, uh, which is really the only source of comic book news. Uh, they're, not, reports. they're not the only one, but they got they they're putting putting shoe to the pavement on this shit. They're really they, going out there and they're they're doing a lot of work trying to talk to sources and business owners and people yes. in distribution, and they're doing a lot of work. Yes, and I'm being facetious, of course, but um, yeah, uh, they have reported that um, comic books might start shipping again, Nick, in as soon as mid-May. So that's yeah, that's four yeah, weeks from this recording. So there's sources for this, and there's a there's a long uh, th- there's a lot of anxiety in the comic book world right now about the decision by the only distributor of single issue comics in the country, Diamond Comics, to stop selling new comics. Yeah. So. For some shops, this makes a lot of sense because um, they can't open anyway. And every time Diamond sends you new comics, then that means you have to pay for them, right? They're sending you a big bill, yeah. They're they're sending you essentially a bunch of boxes that's going to turn into a big bill. And in some cases, it's a very expensive bill. Um, And uh, if your shop isn't open right now and not allowed to be open, then that is a huge problem because that stuff's coming in. You don't have a way to receive it, but you still have to pay for it. And for some businesses that are not affected by stay-at-home orders and that comic shops that are able to stay open in some capacity, this is a a crippling thing because a lot of shops don't rely on perennials to sell. They rely on new product. Oh, that weekly thing is is their their bread and butter. You pull that out from, you know, the situation and, yeah, it's, it's game over potentially. So there's a lot of consternation about like the future of the industry and like how well uh, comic shops can exist at all and what what kind of comic shop industry are we going to be walking back into when all of this is over or when all of this gets back to normal to some degree uh, because so many shops are, are hurting um, and, and so many shops are also benefited by Diamond's decision to not send any comics. So there's a lot of speculation and scuttlebutt about when is Diamond going to start selling new comics. And some publishers came out over the course of the week and said, you know, over the course of the last two weeks even, and said, hey, Diamond's telling us there's not going to be any new stuff until August. And so you've got all this, like, conflicting news about, like, when is stuff coming out? And Bleeding Cool is reporting they've been talking to, quote, very senior comic industry people that uh, the plan that's being told to these very senior comic industry people is that look out for new stuff shipping in mid-May. Yeah, you hear, uh, you know, you hear August and, you know, that'll put your hackles up. That's a long time. Mid-May is still another month away of being yes. closed and no new product, right? And that's that's a heavy thought anyways, but at least it gives you something like, you know, hey, that that's a window I can see. August is like, holy shit, is anybody left, you know, right. <laughs> and come August, no new product, right? That's that's an intense thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this seems like a credi- credible report, right, from Bleeding Cool is what we think. I mean, it makes sense intuitively. It kind of lines up when a lot of, you know, when a lot of shops are going to start to come back online, depending on when these stay-at-home orders went into effect. Um, but it's super relevant to the industry. And if you care about single-issue comics even a little bit uh, or care about any comic shops, it, it, it matters a lot when these new shipments start resuming. Um, so hopefully we'll see like some sort of official word as to when that'll be uh, sometime over the next couple of weeks. And maybe it'll be mid-May. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, we're we're rolling with it and, and we'll take whatever it is. But yeah, there there'll be sooner than later. We'll have a, a solid date, you know, just because we, we have to. We've got to um, 
you know, have a, a, a plan. And obviously, you know, the the pandemic's going to do what it does. And so all our plans will will, <laughs> you know, go out the window as as things change. But yeah, the industry definitely is going to um, the longer this goes, the especially without a without a kind of a light at the end of the tunnel to kind of work towards uh, the tougher it yeah. gets to see uh, how everybody pulls out of this thing. Right. Yeah, and it's wild to see the amount of anger being aimed towards Diamond right now because of this decision to uh, stop shipping comics. And yeah, I think there's a lot of complaints you can make about Diamond, and we make them on this show literally every single week. But yep. this isn't one of them to me. Nope. And nope. I can totally understand why you know your business might be in a different position and why this could be like a life or death decision that that is like arbitrary to you. Like if your shop is able to stay open and you can't get new stuff, that's got to be super, super frustrating, right? Um, but looking at the industry as a whole, it does seem to make sense that, you know, if if so many of your customers can't accept new products and that by accepting them and billing them for them, you're going to put them out of business, it, it's that to me, that seems like a, a sound choice to make. There is um, no other choice. Yeah, from where I'm sitting, there's there's no other choice. The whole yeah. thing collapses under the weight of of products still rolling and bills still due. Um, and and that's not only yeah. that. And that leaves out that leaves aside the fact that like to keep these warehouses open on Diamond's end is a hazard. It's dangerous for their employees who have to like yep. come in and work in close contact and you know be exposed to this virus, right? So um, and they just can't. I, they can't. And a lot of the states where diamond warehouses are, they've been mandated to be right. closed. So that you know they cannot. So yeah. the decision was diamonds definitely, but but also um, because they've been you know mandated by the governments of their states to to not do business. So, but it's wild. And rightly the so. Amount, yeah, sure. It's wild to me how much um, I've never seen anger towards like the conversation happening in the comics industry right now. There is so much anger directed towards Diamond like this in a way that I haven't seen um, when I think there's a lot of legitimate things to complain about when it comes to to Diamond and how they run, how they kind of kneecap the comic industry in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, this is a th- this seems like a curious one to like really take yep. up as the call of like hey what's going on with diamond diamond's too powerful like this has become the the clarion call for making change in the industry because of this decision that diamond made um and it's complicated right because i kind of hope that we do take this whole thing and, and make some changes as a result of it and look at the whole thing but not because diamond decided to stop sending out new comics no, a hundred percent. I agree with everything you said. I think we absolutely, you know, we blather on about that, like you say on this show every week about what Diamond needs to do differently, what the industry needs to do to grow, um, how we need more distributors, more options, returnability, yada yada yada. Right, all those things can come out of this conversation, right? But for for me, from where I'm sitting, uh, and I think you know, you're on the same page. I think this is Diamond got ahead of this thing and they made the call at the exact right moment for maximum chance of survivability for as many folks as possible like we we as a shop suspended our shipments uh three days before diamond made the call to suspend all shipments so they were they were on this thing and it was the absolute right move like we as a business have you know have have, are going to be able to stay around and not furlough our employees and 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 weather this storm because we don't have 
uh, or at least in part because we don't have that that massive weekly diamond bill, right? That that is a game changer for us, and I'm sure for a mass. I, I think I know you know we have to hear from other shops, but a, a vast majority of shops have to feel the same way, right? Do you think that if if you can put on your empathy hat for a second and pretend that you don't run Vault of Midnight, yeah, and you run a shop in Florida, or you run a shop in Kansas, or someplace where there the stay at home orders didn't come through, and and you just you you are just going to work every day, but you and there are people that want to come in and buy stuff. Sure. Uh, do you think that you look at it a little differently? Do you think you you can you can get to that frustration place? I don't know, man. I you know if you choose not to look at the big picture, if you choose not to do your research, you know if you're just exactly looking at your bottom line and your front door and nothing else, and not taking the perspective of like this whole huge thing. I mean, maybe, but it's a tough. For me, it's tough for anybody to get there. Um, yeah, you know, Diamond just can't send comics. They're like legally bound not to send you know, to, to be at work, right? Uh, like so many other folks. So I, I don't know what, what people want. And, and shops staying open, even if you don't have a stay-at-home order when this thing is so huge, it feels like you should stay at home. We're all, we're all doing our best. This sucks. Nobody wants this. But to, to get mad at Diamond about it, I think it's just, I think people are angry and they need somewhere to put their, their fucking spice. And, you know, Diamond's always an easy target, right? I mean, because... Yeah, <laughs> we know we love to talk shit about those guys. Um, yeah, but I, I think they nailed this one. I mean, what else are you going to do? I, I see no other option for them. So yeah. sorry to shops that are losing their livelihood, just like we all are. But holy shit, this is unprecedented, man. This is unprecedented. So yeah, Diamond also began furloughing their employees this week um, and they lasted a while. But as of Monday, the 13th, um, it looks like only business critical staff have been retained over there and uh the rest of their uh the rest of diamonds apparatus has been furloughed um which is a huge bummer and uh yeah our hearts go out to those guys because um there is no announcement yet as to like when they'll be back to work or to what capacity uh that giant pillar of the comics industry for good and bad um is going to be able to get back to business as usual when all of this is said and done yeah, I, I didn't see any numbers, but I'm sure their wor- workforce is, is has to be in the thousands, right? I mean, that's yeah, um, that's a big machine running. So they were able to keep keep their employees on payroll for. I mean, we're what are we week three since they stopped shipping? So um, you know, shipping like that, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, uh, hats off to them for for that, keeping folks on as long as they could. They're also doing some cool stuff on the back end for their employees, uh, you know, as far as healthcare and stuff goes. So you know, they're. They're rolling with this thing, man, like everybody else. It's tough, but I, I'm really impressed so far with kind of Diamond's uh, overall response to this. It's, it's tricky shit, man. There's a lot of moving parts, but um, yeah. yeah I, you know, in, a, in a long, long relationship with this company, I think um, they're showing uh, a level of, uh, you know, I don't know what the right word is, you know, smarts or, or, or whatever in, in kind of handling this thing. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, and this is after, you know, about a week ahead of these furloughs, um, Alliance and Diamond, you know, Diamond Comics owns the biggest board game distributor in the country also, which is Alliance Game Distributors, and um, the executives at both of those companies are taking a 50% salary cut, um, and this is ahead of any furloughs that went through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're they're doing what they can, they're shoring up uh 
they, I mean, you know, it's an existential crisis right now, and they're just trying to figure out a way to be able to turn the lights back on when this is all over, just like everybody is. Um, but what all of this reveals is how how brittle the this this industry is and the 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 comic book industry and like comic shops are uh are panicking even more i think than most retailers because our our business is so strange man like there's it is. and we're we're just not in a position we live so much uh, or so many shops do uh week to week and no, uh, even without a pandemic yeah you're you're counting on that wednesday those wednesday books to fucking you know keep the thing rolling right yeah and, and if there's any if there's anything to take away from this um and anything that like the, the this whole industry needs to take a really hard look at when all this is over is that if if you're based on that i think that it it's emblematic of other problems in the industry right like if you're if you can't just exist on the sale of really good comics and graphic novels and other things that have nothing to do with comics you know board games and you know expanding the way that yeah. the the stuff that your comic shop sells this is like a, a magnifying glass on how important that is if you're going to be a comic shop in 2020. Uh, you, we can't be so reliant on new stuff coming in every week. It inhibits the thing in the first place because it, it makes it harder to grow the thing and to like find a new audience for people that don't care about new stuff that grows every week. But it also... Uh, it, it it highlights the fact that this is a big broad medium but the industry that holds it up really is dependent on like the new shit that is coming out on Wednesday and that's cool until it's until it's such a huge percentage of your business that you can't stay open without right. it no it, that 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 is unique to comic books and I love it right we get that infusion of new product every week we have a little mini event every week built in new comic book day Wednesday it's pretty cool it's it's amazing really I mean customers love it staff loves it you know it, it's an exciting day new stuff is here and we can count on it week on week on week that that, that rocks and I and I think we you know that's the thing going forward hey look, we should have that day but like you said I mean when that becomes 80 percent of your week, you know, right. um, when there's no pandemic and, and a shipment gets delayed, you hear comic shop retailers just light up on the Internet. Right. Like if their books are are 24 hours late. Right. It's like I mean, it's it's a damn near catastrophic event a lot of times. Right. And that's that's too big. That's too much uh, weight put on that one one thing. That, um, that's too so. much pressure put on like one aspect of comics, which is not all of comics like there's there's a lot more to the medium than just the new stuff that comes out on Wednesday, and we're we're finding that out in the hardest way possible right now. Yep. No, we should all be selling, you know, uh, whatever the top twenty is in the mass market. Every single comic shop should be living and and thriving off of that every single week, and then and on top of that, you get that new comic Wednesday, you know, yeah. hot shit uh, injection, right? So yeah. That's what we need to do. Yeah. Hey, we, and and we promised to solve the world's problems in this new segment. I think we just did once again. Um, that's well, what you these are do comic books, these, and these are lessons that we're figuring it out as well. You know, these are these For are things sure. that are like becoming clearer to us with every passing week, and things that you know, changing how we think about uh, our shop and 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 how things have to function going forward. Um, yeah, you we you we definitely wouldn't really, heard me say that years ago. Sorry, totally. go ahead. No, we've just been we've been really lucky throughout this entire process, just as a business. But it's uh, it it's a uh, 
happenstance based on how we like happen to look at comics and how we happen to structure our shops that we're able to like weather this a little bit better than than a lot of the people in our field and that's not bragging that's just like as as we look at what this thing look is going to look like when it's all done um i i hope that these are the conversations that we have with each other because uh, as retailers and as people that you know love this medium um, because we can't just be reliant on the goodwill of our customers and having a good new Superman book come out next Wednesday. Like that yeah, right. is that was a problem before this started, and it is it, it like it's a huge problem now. Yeah, no, and we all we've all seen it happen, right? That we're we're counting on those two big, three big books that week, and you know, two of them land with a dud, you know, right. or a, a whisper, and uh, you know, there goes the week, right? Um, and that that's that in a in an industry with this much good shit, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's a there's a different way to do it. So, yeah, and you know, uh, I think that conversation has been being had, but it's happening in earnest now because of this, right? So, you know, it's 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 we may emerge on the other side of this with with something cooler, with a with with more options, right, and a different way to think about this thing. Here's here's hoping, right? Small business I hope is so. always. Always so. tricky. Doesn't matter what what you're doing, but comics, man, it's trickier than it has to be. It seems like. Yeah. Do you have any good news? Is there anything cool that's happening there's, lately? There sure is, man. I'm glad you asked. There, there's so much uh, good stuff, right? I mean, I love when, well, you know, I don't, you know, bad things happen, and and people really get charitable, and people really get uh, excited to help, and it's it's cool as hell. That's, that's the other side of, of tragedy or, or challenging things, right. Is a bunch of people, uh, really rise to the occasion and, and, uh, do some cool shit. Um, DC comics donated a quarter of a million dollars to the book industry charitable foundation, uh, which is, uh, a foundation set up for small bookstores. Um, and I don't think that directly affects comic book retailers. Um, but uh, they are, you know, I think there are kin, I would say. You know, the small local bookstore is, is similar in a lot of ways to a comic book shop. It's a community-based place. It's, you know, it's small, uh, single shops, um, what you might call a mom-and-pop type situation. Yeah, um, I mean, it's for bookstores in general, and comic book stores can be a part of this thing. It's not, it's not directly built for comic book stores, but comic book stores can, like, you know, can... can uh, take part in the largesse of this organization. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, James Patterson, super amazing author, do donated a half a million bucks to this fund. Uh, Jim Lee is a, you know, co-publisher over at DC Comics. He's producing 60 sketches that he's been auctioning off uh, one at a time. And he's raising tons of cash. These sketches, uh, the big ones are going for, you know, 15,000 bucks a crack. So across yeah. uh, 60 sketches, that's some serious... Serious money coming in to help comic book stores. So, yeah, there's all kinds of neat stuff. Even Rob Liefeld is doing sketches, Nick. Oh, thank goodness. You know? You know? So uh, those are going to fetch a pretty penny. I'm thinking about getting one of uh, myself. Pouchman is one of my favorite Rob Liefeld characters. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's not going to do a Pouchman, though. That's just <laughs> wishful thinking. Um but you know what else is cool? Uh, Bad Idea, which is a brand new publisher. There, we talked about them a few times on this podcast. They're a what would you call them, Nick? Nick, a rambunctious upstart publisher. Um, I think I think they're just a, they're just a new publisher. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're they're uh, sending twenty five 
thousand bucks directly to their first one hundred retail stores uh, that are signed up. So I don't know what's the math there. Two hundred fifty bucks per shop. Um, yeah, which is pretty cool. Like these guys have not put out a single book yet. No, yeah, that's and a really cool gesture. They're just like raising money and sending it to these shops. And this is the publisher that is like limiting all of their uh, distribution. They're doing it direct. Uh, two retailers, and they're only working with a hundred stores. Yeah, no and, online sales, no trade paperbacks. Yeah, and and not going through Diamond, and uh, they uh, have just started up operations. Like they just nailed down their one hundred stores, like literally the week that all of this coronavirus stuff started. Like we they yeah. we they they finally announced like who was going to be a part of this initiative and who they're going to be working with and then all of this stuff happened so no books in the can yet nothing distributed and they're raising money for these comic shops which is like something they didn't have to do and is pretty cool. Yep, yep, and there there's tons and tons more. So um, you know just to kind of round off the in the news segment with some with some with some good stuff. with some good news. Why yeah. not? Why not? Why not? We might as well. We're here. We're not here together. We're here separately together. Yeah. So we have, um, there's obviously no new comics to talk about on our weekly New Comic Day Audio Digest. Mm-hmm. As as we've been saying for the past few weeks, so we've been doing a thing where we've been assigning the other host a book to read that they've never read, something that one of us really loves, but that the other host has not read in its entirety. Yes. And yes. Uh, this week we did Planetase, which was my which was my assignment to you. This it is was. a book that I that I love. I hadn't read it until they did a reissue, uh, you know, several years ago. They put it in these two uh, Dark Horse put it out. These two big, beautiful volumes. This is a book by Makoto Yukimura, and uh, I read this for the first time and absolutely fell in love with it. It first came out in 1999 and ran for five years or something like that. that and right. uh, yep. and uh, this is the author of Vinland Saga. Is the other book that he's done, um, which is a oh. Yeah, hugely celebrated, really well-received, really great long-form manga story. And um, I think on the back of the success of Vinland Saga, we finally got this reissue of Planetase in these two omnibus volumes. And I love this book. And you had never read it. I hadn't. Nope, nope. I always meant to. I even bought a copy of the first volume when it came out, and uh, it just sat on my bookshelf looking pretty. It's a big one. It's a little intimidating. Each of these books is like six hundred plus pages. They're they're pretty yeah. beefy. But, it's a big it, it's a big read. And I want to save your your final judgment on it and whether you yeah. liked it or not till the end. But let's let's talk about what's going on with this book. So, um, what what who what who are the characters in this book? First of all, it's a real character study of a book. It sure is. Um, so the main characters, the main main character is a guy named Hachimachi. They call him, and uh, he is just a dedicated astronaut he loves being in space he works uh on a uh what do they call it a, his ship is called like a toy box the ds12 and it's a junk collector it collects debris so he's a 
astronaut, but he's uh, essentially a astro garbage collector or refuge collector. Um, and he has dreams, bigger dreams of getting his own spaceship and, and traveling to Jupiter, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and initially you kind of look at this guy like, you're never going to make it, dude. You're kind of a fuck up, you know? <laughs> you know, he, he wants to do all this stuff, but he's not really uh, prepared or understands what is required of like being like a real serious deep space astronaut, right? Yeah, he wants he wants to do it because he thinks it sounds cool, and he thinks that it like lives up to this image that he has of himself. Um, yeah, and, it, and I like think freedom. there's a yeah. and there's other stuff going on besides. I think, but we'll we'll get into that in a minute. And then we also have Yuri. What's Yuri's deal? So Yuri is another astronaut who works on this uh, garbage collector ship uh, who lost his wife uh, in a commercial space flight. There. These guys pick up debris in the orbit of Earth because a small little piece of, of debris can become like this very dangerous thing to spaceships and satellites. And uh, a ship they're traveling on, uh, the window is hit by a, a lone piece of, I think it's like just a screw, right? Mm -hmm. uh, traveling at like a super speed, hits the window, and, and uh, his wife is, uh, is killed in this, this accident. And, and now he is... Um, I don't want to say he's he's pretty reflective. I don't know if depressed is the right word. He is he's withdrawn is uh, his his vibe is what I get initially from him. Um, very cool yeah. dude. Um, but it, this event obviously has profoundly affected him and, and changed him um, from yeah. the happy go lucky person he was. And then we have Fee, who is the pilot and captain of the toy box uh, and the captain of this crew for all the, the characters that we've mentioned so far. She has a husband and a son at home. She doesn't see them very often. And then finally, we got Tanabe. Tanabe is a, a rookie, the newest crew member, and uh, she's training to replace Hachimachi. And um, she's like just figuring out how to... Uh, how to make her way in space, which has become more of like a mundane job that requires less training than than you would assume. Um, because in case we didn't say it, and, or if we waved at it, these are all folks that work in space, and they their job is to pick up trash in space. And we get this like really clear breakdown of like why their job is important when we see how Yuri's wife died because like you said it's like a single screw crashes through their uh this commercial spaceship and yep. kills everybody on board or damn near everybody on board right mm -hmm. and these are folks everybody that we've named so far these are folks that just go up to orbit and collect uh the large debris as they're able to and we see that like this is an impossible thankless job that is really really important but they're still essentially garbage men. Like, they're on the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to, like, space exploration. Yeah, and that's how they're referred to by other folks in, in uh, you know, in space. They are definitely, you know, um, like you say, the bottom rung, even though what they're doing is immensely important. And, um, you know, you yeah. at a certain point, we wouldn't be able to do space travel if this stuff doesn't get cleaned up. That's how important it is, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're trash collectors, and trash in just like in the the now times this is like a hugely important thankless thing and right. what the like it's it's only the scale gets bigger of it because it's in space and you know when things go wrong people die instantly um 
So uh, the other thing that's kind of floating around all of this stuff is that humans have depleted the Earth of resources and are mining the moon. So there's like a lot more travel in space. Yes. Um, in order to like maintain this crazy sci-fi lifestyle, which is only slightly exaggerated from our current lifestyle. And now it's time to go to Jupiter because that's where the next uh, source of uh, uh, of minerals are that are going to be able to like power human beings being able to like keep going into space and keep this cycle of getting resources, keep moving, keep exploring, keep powering what we've built, and then find more resources. Yeah. So we're, we're yeah, already... depleting the moon, right? Yeah, the moon is is we're rocking it pretty hard. Yes, exactly. Um, there's also a there's a terrorist organization, the Space Defense Front which is an activist group um, that has like essentially turned into a terrorist organization that uh, is against mining in space and anybody that facilitates those efforts, including, um, you know, the trash collectors, but like mainly their targets are these space stations and, you know, uh, government entities that are trying to mine space. Right. Yeah. They're, they'll, they, they've escalated to, from activism to we got to stop this thing at any cost, any means. Yeah. And this whole book really pivots around character studies. Like we get these four characters and we spend time with them really, really closely. And we see how they relate to this thing that they're doing, which is collecting trash in space. And they're all doing it for different reasons. And uh, we get to see more of this world and more of this like, this fictional universe through their experience. Um, it's uh, it's hard sci-fi, right? So we're not getting, uh, it's not big alien stuff. It's really focused on like the workaday aspects of these characters and with like a really uh, focused laser on how technology has changed these people's lives. It's only slightly exaggerated from technology that we have right now, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it feels like, um, and that's this is my f- favorite thing about a good science fiction. Anything is when the technology and all that stuff becomes the background. You know, this book book does this so well. Like the suits that they wear, the ships that they use, all the equipment is there and it's present. And you know about it, but it doesn't get caught up in th- the language of that. It's how the people interact with it and their, like you say, their character uh, arcs. Are, are what we're focusing on, right? All the the world building just happens naturally in the background and and feels like a natural extension, right, of kind of what we think of, or at least what I think of, of, of space exploration, right? It's, it's what we've yeah. done, you know, just, you know, extrapolated out, you know, 20, 30 years, right? Yep. It works really well. Yeah. It, it is like really expertly told. Like the book is really funny, um, the translation is amazing. Like the the pace and dialogue works so well together. It does um, the the cool thing that it borrows from shonen books or like action manga books of like it can get really slapsticky and characters can like morph into chibi versions of themselves like for yeah. a moment of comedic effect. Even while the themes are like really intense and even while the the plot the plot matter itself is like really really like kind of dense and dark in a lot of places. And I was struck on this. I think this is the second time I've read this all the way through. And uh, this is a book about depression. This is uh, a lot of that in there for sure. I mean, the, the way that all of these characters 
So you let's let's just like take them one at a time. Like Hachimachi yeah. is just depressed. He is like he doesn't know where he stands in the world. He has this flash that the answer to all of his problems are to become like a famous astronaut and to get his own ship. And he uh, decides to like pursue that with like really intense work and really intense dedication, but without any examination of like why he wants to do it or the effect that it's having on the people around him or the effect that yeah. it's having on him and his own body. Like he doesn't know. He, he, I don't think he knows he's, I mean, that he's depressed, right? Like, well, I don't think he does at all, um, yeah. which which makes it that much more impactful. The only person that is that, that does seem to be aware of their depression and the, the, the aware of the effect that like they're you know, they've all chosen to go up to a space and alienate themselves from the earth and alienate themselves from other people. And they all have different reasons for doing it. And Yuri, who lost his wife in a commercial spaceship, like on paper, has the most obvious plot. He has the most obvious story, right? Like his wife was killed by space debris, so now he's going to go up there and collect space debris. And he's pretty taciturn and he's pretty quiet about the whole thing. And when he's up there and when he finally, you know, at some point during the collection of debris, he finds uh, a compass that his wife had on her in that accident that then became a part of the space debris, right? Yeah. And in that moment of finding it, he has this like he has this reflection that lets him come to peace with it and lets him like recognize why he's doing this and why he was up there in the first place. And he chooses to like stay on the crew because of the connections that he's made from these people. But he doesn't need to do it just for the purpose of like going up there to be alone or going up there to look for some compass anymore. Right. He is the only character that seems like in touch with why he's doing this for a living and also makes peace with why he's up there. And I love that. And his his arc uh, happens like pretty quickly, you know, so he gets to that place like, you know, whatever it is, you know, a, a third of the way through the book, which I really, really like. You know, it's um he's able to have that resolution in his character, his demeanor of the character, the way it's written totally changes. And I, yeah. I love that. Right. He becomes happier, funnier, uh, in, in, interacts with the crew in a totally different way. It's it's very, very cool to see that arc happen. And then it, that's not the end. Right. That's not like I'm better now. Right. Then you, you still have more story to tell with that character, which is which is yeah. awesome. And he kind of becomes our model for like functional management of like of depression of like he had this really traumatic, horrible thing happen to him and he's like processing it and getting through it. And he is the one character and we get to spend less time with Yuri than we do with anybody else. But right. he's a character who's an example of like how you can look at this, how you can look at your own sadness and depression and how and you can learn from it and come out of the other side of it. Um, Hachimachi, it essentially takes us the entire arc of the entire thing to to get there. Well, he, um, he struggles and he gets there in a in a different way, right? I mean, he you think he's making progress, and but he's it's it's incremental and it's sometimes uh, a little bit off, right? Yeah, which I think is Absolutely. really really interesting. Totally, because then we have Fee, the captain of the ship, and like she seems like she's just going up there and putting in work. And for the for the mo for most of the book, like that's what we get out of Fee. Um, is that she's up there and she's like, no nonsense. We're up here to yeah. collect garbage. Just do your job. And, you know, in between, she, she's going to smoke a cigarette. This book has like one of my favorite chapters of like any comic. Yeah. And it it's the one where 
fee it's it's a it's an entire episode about fee trying to smoke a cigarette i just want to smoke a cigarette i got it. where the fuck can i go yeah right and that's now. really tough in space yeah. where you're not supposed to smoke cigarettes like that is not cool and so there are like little stations that are set up all over these different bases where they launch from to collect debris. And there's an entire episode where Fee is just like going from their like little little smoking spots, little smoker stations at all these different uh, these different spots on the space base. And she's just traveling from uh, smoker station to smoker station trying to find a cigarette, trying to find a spot where she can chill out for one second before yeah. she's gotta like go do her job. But every time she gets to one of these stations, it gets blown up, literally gets blown up by one of the, uh, uh, by this terrorist organization. Yep. That's, that's trying to like stop the, the mining of space. No, and she doesn't hit them where it hurts the smoking lounge, you know? Yeah. She doesn't care about their movement or about, she doesn't have any like particular animosity towards them in so far as they are in the way of her being able to like smoke a cigarette. No, she's an addict, and she needs a, a cigarette. I, yeah. I know this feeling. I remember this feeling vividly as being a smoker. Oh, like it, it's absolutely. so all-consuming that there's who gives a. F- I mean, the world could actually be on fire. Who gives a shit? I need yeah. a cigarette right now. And through her, through this episode, we learn about this space defense front. We learn about their methods, and we learn about like all of the larger things that are in stake at stake in this story. But it's all told through her just like trying to go smoke, and it's so expertly done and like well paced out and revealing both of her character and of like what's going on in this world. I love that chapter so much. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, she is a fantastic character because uh, I, th- I think, like you say, is the most kind of easy to define, right? As far as, like, you get her pretty quickly. Um, but just a lot of personality and uh, I love, I-, I love somebody who, who smokes in space. The idea of that, the the <laughs> the personality of that, right? Holy and she shit. seems she seems easy to define until we like we get to spend a little bit more time with her because it turns out that she's got this husband and this son at home, and she had a really rough childhood. She had a like uh, she it seems like she grew up in the South in the United States. Um, she's African American, and she has or like her family had a really really rough go of it, and we get the sense pretty quickly that like she stays up in space because she doesn't really want to go home she doesn't really have the means to like interact with her family comfortably she's not comfortable in her role as a mother and so she just goes up to work and stays away from them for like really long periods of time yeah again like plus yeah a year plus and like her her she's like increasingly a stranger to her son like she finds out that her son has been like bringing all these dogs home and their house is just they live in an apartment building and their their house is just overrun with dogs right and she she's she's powerless to do anything about it because she doesn't really have a role in this house anymore because of how absent she is yeah and and her parenting skills are just like falling short because she shows up and tries to go into mom mode for for a minute and it's just not working out Um, yep the uh whole you know they don't focus on it for a long time but just the the moments you get with her and her son and her processing like you know her son's style like you know because he's this loudmouth, uh you know rambunctious kid 
and they'll have these interactions that don't go the way she wants and and then she'll have these moments back in space where she's reflecting on on this and trying to become a, a cooler mom and understand where her kids coming from and where she kind of lost her direction right as far as being a mom goes and uh yeah that shit's really really cool and this is how she so it, it, all of these characters are to one way or another they've all like they all are escaping to space via the most direct means that they have which in this case is like the lowest rung of uh, space exploration, which is collecting garbage, right? Yeah. And none of them are fully aware of why they're doing it, but they're all running away from something. They're all running away from their depression. And over the course of the book, we get to see all of these characters slowly come to the realization that, like, you're going to dis- you're going to space to get away from people, but uh, really, everything that you do is connected to other people. And once they come to that realization and reconnect with the people in their life, and then hence, like with the big ideas of the book, like they start to reconnect with like the planet as a whole because they effectively like save the planet, then that is how they start to, by reconnecting with other people, they start to reckon with their own depression and start to come out on the other side of it. And we start to get the sense that they might be okay on the other end of it. Um, but I mean, it's a pretty obvious metaphor. But it's really deftly handled throughout the entire thing. And I was just so struck in this reading about like how much of it pivots around unacknowledged, unaddressed uh, sadness and depression. Right. Yeah. Just doing things, you know, without examining them. Like, why are you you, you don't know what, what your motivations are. It's something in your core that you haven't taken a look at that's steering you in all these like unhealthy directions, you know. Um, and in a million know. different ways, like for Hachimachi, it, it steers him in the direction of like, I'm going to achieve because right. like, I'm going to be the best. And for Fee, it's just going to be like, I'm going to do my job really, really well. And for Yuri, he has like this really particular thing that he's working on, which is like, you know, trying to reconnect with his wife who was lost up there. And, but by very, very slowly, they start to realize what they're actually doing up in space and that it's actually just like, oh, it's it's their path to reckoning with what's going on in their brains and what's going on with their own anxieties and depression. Yeah, it's um, like you say, it's uh, it's uh, themes we've seen before, but uh, this, it's just handled so so deftly in this book. The art is absolutely stunning. Um, I don't know if we've mentioned uh that, but oh my gosh, yeah. I, I, it's just absolutely gorgeous to look at. And uh, yeah, this this book blew me away. I love hard science fiction stuff like this that that does that lived in future thing you know that always struck me in like movies like blade runner or alien you know it's once humans go into space and it just becomes a thing that we do right it becomes mundane it's just yeah we like we're driving cars you know was this oh my gosh amazing thing and now everybody drives a car and who gives a shit it's a car like it's nothing right that's this is how you treat science fiction right and we're not that far away from it we're you know and i love it it becomes it just becomes normal. I, I love the way that when that's done well, it, it, it just works. And it becomes, that's when you can do character studies like this that are that cool, right? Where you don't, you can do science fiction and it's not about that. It's not about the science fiction. It's about yeah, uh, the I mean, people in it. Yeah, there's always, that. that's the best sci-fi and fantasy, right? Is like, 
it's not look at this cool idea that I had, but it's look at these characters that I've built and the stories that they have to tell that they have to tell. And in order to tell their stories, I need to make up some impossible shit in order to like highlight what they're going through. Yeah. Um, to me, that's always the best sci-fi and fan. And there's a place for like really silly sci-fi and really silly fantasy as well. Like that, that is like coming from it from a different angle, but the best shit, the bat, the stuff that sticks with you and that you remember and that you want to like revisit and go back to, it's the stuff that's like, it's it's character and story, and we use the the trappings of sci-fi and fantasy as a as a means to explore ideas, um, and not just like, you know, uh, giant space portals or you know, uh, impossible dragons or whatever. Right. No, I think um, you mentioned this a little bit. Uh earlier in the in the discussion that uh this book still uh manages to be manga uh, yeah and uh i love it there's a, a couple scenes that they go like full action mode and so they're doing all this stuff they're doing all this great character development and they're building this incredible world uh that seems very believable and and then you know there's scenes of them just like um you know they they got to rescue somebody who's on a piece of debris that's floating you know it's it's degrade its orbit is uh degrading and it's going to hit earth and we got to get this thing and so you know they got to like gun the ship and mac- you know and it's just there's speed lines and it goes full manga mode a, a couple of times in this like book like action action comic you mean Exactly, like full shonen, you know, action manga. And I just love that because it didn't forget what it was. It was able to do this balancing act of like being this serious story and being a science fiction thing and, and, and like a, a hard science fiction thing and still being a comic book. And, and I thought just threaded the needle like yep. so fucking good the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a perfect book. I think that um, Tanabe is the weakest character in the book. Um who is somebody we haven't really talked about a lot, but she's a, a rookie who's coming on board the ship and um, her and uh, Hachimachi start to develop this romance and um, she feels a little underbaked. There's a couple characters in the book that like we start to get to know, you get the sense that like this could have gone on a lot longer and we would have gotten uh, more of a sense of all of these side characters in the same way that we do with the main characters. Yep. Um, but by the end of it, there's a, there's a few that we like are introduced to and we start to get a sense that there's more going on with them, but then the book ends and we, we never really like uh, get drawn into them in the same way, though they're given a lot of weight. Um, yeah. That's so me. I, I noticed that for sure. Yeah. Um, but it feels like a book that like had run its course and the author was ready to do new things maybe. And uh, it had to be wrapped up and it wrap and it wraps up well. And I think it, it, it does its job well of like exploring the ideas that it wants to explore and like get at the themes that it wants to get at. Yep. But um, there's a lot of stuff in here that's that, you know, especially towards the end, that's like, oh, this probably should have just been on a cutting room floor somewhere and we could have been a little bit more focused. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm also okay, too, with not putting a bow on stuff. That was the other thing. Like, I definitely noticed that there were some threads that were begun and just kind of, we just never came back to them, right? Yeah. Um, but that, but that, I didn't, I felt okay with that. By the end, I was like, cool, I'm, I'm done. You know, we, we, the window into this, like you say, this, this, uh, this place and the, these themes, uh, it, it felt like, uh, yeah, I was ready to be done with Planetess when it was done. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It just felt like, hey, cool yeah we we've done the thing and yeah that's that's enough did you watch the anime i did i did yep i well not all of it but i i you know 
smash. It's 26 episodes, so I probably got through eight episodes. Oh, wow. That's a lot farther yeah. than I got. Yeah, yeah, I, I stuck with it. It is, uh, from the from Jump, it's wildly different. It's almost like Totally a, different. Uh, yeah, like a, it's the, you know, a, a sitcom in space, you know, it is. It it took me uh, by surprise. I, I most of the manga that I've seen, the anime and read the manga, they are much much closer. Where I feel like a lot of times I don't need the other one always. Yeah, you know, if you've watched Naruto, uh, do you need to read it? I, you know, I have again. I haven't gone through the whole series, but you know, the first few volumes in, hey, these are pretty much one to one, right? This was not yeah. that. I only made it through the the first episode, but they, they they basically turn it into a workplace comedy, yeah. In the first episode, and I'm sure that that changes as things go on. Um, it does, and it's mm-hmm. it's a really well received anime. Like it's won a bunch of awards, and and people love it. But um, they add a bunch of characters, and it's really slapsticky, and uh, it's the the vibe of it is like totally totally different. And coming right off the manga, I was like, oh nope, this is way too different. I can't get into this right now. Yeah, I, I almost bailed. I gave it a couple more episodes after that because I was like, holy shit, I do not like where what they're doing here. This is not yeah. what this needs to be because it felt like they were kind of hitting those tropes that you need to hit. You know, you got to have a goofball character. You got to have, you know, you know, you got to have more comedy uh, to really yeah, ramp this stuff thing that's up. Just, you know? Yeah, stuff that's just like totally absent, like just all new ideas and, and characters that were not in the book at all. Yep, they really re- lean into uh, Tanabe right out of the gate, you know, in a totally different way. Yeah, it yeah. struck me how different it was. But that said, um, as I as I watched it, it really did seem to kind of recenter itself uh, on the manga and the themes and style of the manga, and um, yeah, yeah, really uh, developed. I I don't know if I need to finish it because I've read the book, but um, yeah, it it got better as it went. So on measure for Planetes. Um, out of uh ten pieces of space debris, how many yeah. pieces of space debris do you give it? I give it a solid eight space debris. Eight yeah. out of ten. You dug it. I think I really, really dug it. I, this it was it was perfect timing. Your recommendation was was right on time for me, Nick. Um, I had just played a video game, Alien Isolation, which is one of my other favorite science fiction worlds because it's it's I just love people putting on their space clothes, man, where, where it looks real, where you're putting on your space gloves like you've done it a million times. When you go in the airlock, this is how you do it. When you get out of the airlock, this is how you do it. And, and I've done it a thousand times. This is my job. This is what I do. I love that the ma- shit. The majesty is gone. You know? That's sweet. Because then you do, and then you tell whatever story you're going to tell on top of that. So I had just finished that and then getting into this. And it opens up with a lot of, this book has a lot of that stuff, you know, just people doing their day. And yeah. but it's in space, and um, it was perfect time. And then you mix that in with I think these these massively uh, interesting character arcs, killer artwork. This this has this checked all the boxes for me I, uh, for what I want out of a science fiction uh, manga. It it really rocked. When I want hard science fiction, right? Because like you say, there yeah. is a place to get weird with it and 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 go over way over the top. And I like that shit too. But um, this this felt grounded in 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 the best way. Cool. Well, what yeah, are we I, reading next week? Uh, we're going to do a total uh, 180 from this, and we're going to do as much of the complete eight-ball box set as we can. That's the first 18 issues of Dan Klaus's seminal, like, holy shit, super influential indie darling, I'm going to say it, uh, eight-ball comic book. This thing is a beast. It, 
I love it so these, much. Uh, these are the single issues that Dan Klaus put out in the 80s and early 90s. And before he was like a graphic novelist and exactly. uh, before anything got adapted into, you know, into movies from his stuff. Yep. Uh, this is uh, this is what put him on the map, really. And what like the, this is how uh, he made comics and like made a big splash on the way that like people look at what comics are capable of uh, in the 80s and 90s. No, I think there's there's three or four uh creators that you can point at that like seismically changed all of comic books and and dan klaus and eight ball specifically are are examples right this is a this is a big big deal and and because it is legitimately incredible i'm really excited i haven't read these books in years i'm excited to sit down with these um there are some the trajectory of this guy's style is uh i can't wait to see it um cool it, it's definitely morphed so all right we're gonna read eight ball that's going to be all, next week. All I and, uh, get ready. And before we leave today, do you have anything to recommend, though, that is not a comic book and not a board game? I do. It's a weird one, and it's been out for a few years. I've been playing a lot of video games because I'm locked in my house, and uh, me and my partner, Liz, played a video game called Detroit Become Human, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It's like a, basically one of those kind of adventure movie games where you don't play that much or kind of pressing buttons at the right moment and choosing dialogue options that change the storyline as you go. Um, but it's basically about uh, in the not too distant future, like 2038 in Detroit, it has a manufacturing renaissance. Uh, the Motor City becomes the Android City and, and, and Androids become like iPhones. They're totally ubiquitous and they're everywhere. Everybody has Androids for, for nannies, for the army, for pick something, you got an Android for it, right? Um, but all of a sudden the Androids start waking up nick and and maybe they're alive maybe they're people and uh mm. yeah and you play as one of as you play as three different androids with kind of converging storylines and you kind of bip back and forth between the three um it's clumsy as hell at moments and uh, melodramatic as as shit uh at other moments but sometimes uh it got me and had some some really impactful stuff I, we enjoyed the hell out of it um yeah but it's weird cool. and it's not for everybody so yeah, but I liked it. You ever mess with this one? Oh, I've 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 messed. I play every David Cage game that comes out. Yeah, and I in, I just increasingly despise them. I can't stand <laughs> this fucking guy. I think he's he, such a hack. Yeah, you might be right, man. You might be right. He, I think he has moments in every game where I really, really am there, and other moments where I'm like, "What in the fuck is going on with you, dude?" Yeah, this dude yeah. put out a game called Heavy Rain. Uh, maybe a decade ago, and it's like, yeah. man, this guy's doing things with video games I've never seen before. I can't wait to see how this, like, the next iteration of this, mm -hmm. and he never quite figured it out, how to, like, make something, like, that is mundane but interesting, and he's stuck in, like, starkly in a lane of mundane and boring. Yeah, I could, I could see how you could uh, get that takeaway. This game is uh, very polarizing. Uh, anybody yeah. I talk to about it's like, up, oh, hated it, or yeah, I liked it. I just I, I want to like this guy. Just, I, I I love that he's doing something different. Like you, more than anything else, like that you you will love or hate this dude's stuff, um, and that's cool. I dig that that he's like he's he's way out on a limb for his art form, which is cool. He really is. He's a real auteur. 
Nick, what yeah. about you? Did you uh, recommendo? Uh, do you have any recommendos that are not board games or comic books, my guy? Uh, dude, I just started watching, rewatching the new Planet of the Apes movies. Oh yeah. And uh, do you know that those movies own? I do know that. I fucking love those movies. And uh, I have a serious question though for you. So you're rewatching them, and yeah, you. I just have to know. I ask everybody this: Who do you root for in the Planet of Apes? Movies, man. Is it the humans well, you... or the apes? Oh, I'm I'm on Team Caesar, dude. Of course. Good, good. That was a test and you passed. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's no other way there's no other way to be. I also always forget in those movies that like James first of all, you have to accept James Franco as a scientist, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> requires like so much more suspension of disbelief than a talking monkey. <laughs> that rides a horse and has a gun. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah you're totally it, right. It's actually yeah. it's it's so much further out of left field that James Franco is like a geneticist or whatever the fuck he is. And I also always forget that he essentially dooms the human race uh, by making smart monkeys and also at the same time a disease that kills all humans. No, it's a lot for, for one person. It's a lot for one guy, but if it was going to be one guy, it was going to be James Franco, I would I would imagine. The first movie is like kind of is like whatever, it's fun, and I still love it. But the second and third movies, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes, are yeah. legit excellent fucking films dude i am so excited to keep i just watched the first one last night and ready for the whole trilogy no they completely rule i think in the third one is when we get woody harrelson is like the ball-headed fucking yeah, badass human guy yeah 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 that's woody I, that guy can do anything that's he, you know here's the thing also you can yeah. put an ape on a horse literally any day of the week and i am wow i am ready to go powerful image who's the guy who betrays caesar though i always forget his name the guy who betrays caesar the the, the guy the, the monkey he's a he's a shitty monkey he's got the scar face oh i think that was coba coba man I think that guy you're thinking of Ooh, coba gets under my skin i mean i kind you know of what? feel where he's you coming know what? from coba had a hard life dude he grew up in labs he did he was he no. spent his entire life being tested on in labs anyway we'll come back to it some other the humans, those but I highly humans. recommend if you've never seen them and if you thought they were silly, you're right, they are silly. But you should watch the new Planet of the Apes movies, not the 2001 and uh, Planet of the Apes movie starring Mark Wahlberg. Terrible. That is some that's some hot garbage. But Don't the watch new it. shit, watch them. They're really really good. Andy Serkis is the is is Caesar, the main ape. It's dope. It really really is. Good pick, man. And that is gonna do it for us today. Thank you very much, Curtis. I appreciate you. Hey, right back at you, my friend. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Our show is edited uh, by Aaron Polk. You can subscribe and download, and you should totally review the Super Skull Show on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're also on Stitcher. And uh, you could also tell anyone who will listen, probably via the internet at this point, uh, about uh, the show because we need more listeners. And this is how this is how you this is how we get them is by you. Spread the word, and we appreciate it. What are some ways they could spread the word? You could you could tweet it. You could mm-hmm. you could um, Instagram it. You could mask mass text everyone in your phone. Just mm-hmm. do a group test that everyone on your phone would be like a link to the Super Spell Show latest. But episode. more importantly, Curtis, because this is the thing we do every week, what are the me- how can people find us on the internet oh, if they, they want to? That us? is the thing I was leading you into like a horse to water. 
I, and I just couldn't get there. But but I'm there now, finally. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram. Also on the website that we've created for this show, superskullshow.com is how you can find us. Yep, that's correct. And Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Wybar. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading. Until next week. I'm excited to read that eight ball box set. I just pulled it off my out of my ass. I was looking through my bookshelf and I was like, what the fuck are we no, going to read? That's perfect.